Welcome to Sustainable North Florida. I'm your host, Lorianne Santamaria. Yeah, well, basically what we're doing is we're changing the world. My whole goal is to save the world one product at a time. And it's all through eliminating persistent plastic particulate pollution. And that's, that's the thing. That's what we're doing. Welcome to the first episode of Sustainable North Florida. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking with local leaders who are creating a more sustainable future for all of us. We'll cover the causes and impacts of climate change and learn about how we can build a more sustainable community. It's really important that we'll be viewing all of this through a local lens. You know, there's this old trope of videos showing starving polar bears to illustrate the impact of climate change. I suppose that might tear at some people's heartstrings, but it's never worked for me. I have never seen a polar bear, so it's just hard to connect with that. But I do live near the St. John's River, and I have neighbors that have been impacted by flooding. Here's another example. Last month, we heard a lot about the COP meeting in Dubai. And for those of you that don't know yet what COP is, don't worry, I'm sure we'll cover it in a future episode. But basically, COP is an annual meeting where world leaders gather to discuss climate change. The reality is that most of us will never be able to influence global leaders directly. But we do have access to our city council members. And we can advocate for Jacksonville to join the 13 other cities that have already committed to achieving net zero emissions. When thinking about climate change, shifting focus from national to local issues makes it easier to understand both the problems and the solutions. And there's a sense of agency that you achieve with that knowledge. We can do something about this. We will do something about this. Moving on to today's episode. One sustainability initiative that seems easier for people to get behind is the need to do something about plastic. Recycling is often listed as a solution, but the reality is that most plastic that is used never gets recycled. So where does it go? According to the Ocean Conservancy, microplastics have been found in every marine habitat where scientists have looked. The ingestion of microplastics by animals has been associated with negative health outcomes, including impaired growth and behavior, decreased reproductive output, and damage to cells and DNA. But it's not all doom and gloom. Our guest today is Bob Hawkinson. Bob's a local entrepreneur who saw the amount of plastic produced by the industry that he was in and set out to develop a solution. We're speaking with Bob today about that journey and about his company, Recede Bioplastics. Hi, Bob. Thank you for coming and welcome to Sustainable North Florida. Thank you, Lorianne. I appreciate it. So I think this is going to be a great episode. And, and listeners, you should know that I went to visit Bob at his workshop a few weeks ago, and what was supposed to be a quick intro turned into a three-hour deep dive into his technology. And I left wanting to take many of his products home with me. Unfortunately, they are mostly still in development, which we'll learn about in a little bit here. So Bob, perhaps the best place to start would be for you to introduce yourself and give us an overview of your company. Yeah, sure. So my name is Bob Hawkinson. I've been self-employed in North Florida in the landscape industry for about 41 years now. That led me to develop some products because I, I kept seeing all this ag plastic waste that was happening being generated by our industry, which just didn't make any sense. So ultimately I started working on solutions for that. And that really led me to developing a bioplastic that we got a patent for because it's pretty amazing stuff. And then that's led into a bunch of other different product lines. So so I think your your personal background and your professional background, it seems to me it's really important with what you're able to do right now with Recede Bioplastics. Um, so can you walk us through that? Where where did you initially start your career and how did that lead you to where you're at now? So 
Yeah, borrowed $2,000 from mom and dad and started a lawn care company and worked 100 hours a week ever since. So that's <laughs> kind of how it works as an entrepreneur. But yeah, the landscape industry, a commercial contractor, and and we would go out and do these jobs with mulch bags and you'd wind up with, you know, a thousand bags. And I started looking at this thinking, yeah, this just doesn't make any sense. So a single mulch bag is equal to about 36 grocery bags and plastic content. Grocery bags can be recycled, and they often are. Mulch bags typically are non-recycled because they're contaminated. There's actually more plastic waste in mulch bags and soil bags than there is in grocery bags. For whatever reason, mulch bags always get a break. I have no idea, but nobody even talks about them. And so ultimately came up with a product where we use the bag itself as a weed barrier and make it out of a biodegradable plastic. But couldn't find a biodegradable plastic that worked. So we ultimately had to create one. So how did you go about doing that? I mean, there's a big leap from looking out and seeing, hey, we're using all this plastic. It doesn't make sense to actually being able to have this idea and this company that you have right now. So what were the steps that you took? Once you had an idea, how'd you get it into to something more tangible? Well, first of all, I had no idea what I was doing. And you know, I thought this was going to be easy, but there's, you know, all I needed was a biodegradable plastic. Well, there weren't any that were really strong and could sustain the the bagging application and the retail process and then hold up for a season as a weed barrier in the ground. So ultimately had to reach out to a lot of people. And I wound up working with a gentleman that we've been working with about a decade now. And he has worked as a consultant with me and we've we've created some really, really cool stuff. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the current state of the industry and what happens to the end life of these plastics? Yeah. So what we're really good at is if end of life is soil or water, we might be a good solution. And the industry itself is, it's kind of a wild west out there right now. People make all kinds of claims. You know, we did the testing where we are tested ASTM D5988 soil biodegradable and D6691 marine biodegradable, that basically means that we're going to die in the soil or the water, ultimately. So, and we have, did the testing to those standards. So you'll hear a lot of people talk about being biodegradable, and that's not really even necessarily a legal claim unless you put the information behind it, such as soil biodegradable, marine biodegradable. Um, you know, they talk about compostable, and that would be sort of the same thing, industrial compostable or backyard compostable. So it's a, it's a sort of a, a world of weird words that you have to be very careful that you, you don't, you don't miss misguide the consumer. Okay. So let's dig a little bit deeper into the science. You, you said that products die in the marine or the, the soil environment. Can you explain a little bit more what you mean there? Yeah. So what happens is we are consumed by microbes. So we will get eaten by microbial activity, basically. And so if it's going to be in the water or in the soil, ultimately we will biodegrade. Now that's all based on microbial activity, which equates to time and the thickness of the material in different applications. So it's this weird world in that you just go out and go, hey, hey we're biodegradable. And that's not always really you can't really do that. You really have to give uh, sort of more more information so that people can understand what what it is you're saying. You'll look on 
a lot of these social media platforms and somebody will bury a bag and go, Hey, it didn't, it didn't break down or gosh, it broke down into pieces. That's not testing biodegradability. That's testing disintegration. And that's two completely different things. Standard plastics will disintegrate, but they stop. They don't biodegrade. Biodegradables go through the disintegration process, but we keep going. So we're going to biodegrade past the process of disintegration. And then we ultimately turn into H2O and CO2. So I think most of us have heard a lot in the news about microplastics. And and I think, you know, they've shown up all over the world in Mariana's Trench and the North Pole. When you talk about disintegration, is that what we're seeing in the microplastics? So mostly, yeah. So sometimes it's wear, sometimes it's disintegration. But yeah, it'll it ultimately break down into small microplastic pieces. And so when you see people talk about microplastics, that's what they mean. Those are those are materials that typically stop after they disintegrate. And so, so it's, it's a mechanical process, whereas what what you are working on is is a chemical process. Primarily, Would you say that? Sort of. Ours is a biological process. Okay. Sometimes as others will break down from wave action in the water or UV or, you know, mechanical, yeah, mechanical properties or motion. So that's kind of right. <laughs> All right. So one of the, the products that you are working on is string trimmer line. Can you tell us a little bit about that endeavor? Well, yeah, as a guy who has bought a mountain of string trimmer line and uses it every year, to me, I always looked at it as I thought, there's got to be a better way because as you use your string trimmer line, it's not necessarily the pieces that break off, it's the wear. So you you see that revealed in the fact that when you run the machine, you have to tap the head on the ground to get it to, to come back out and lengthen. Well, that's because you just wore all that plastic off. That worn plastic, it's about 11,000 microplastics a minute and about 1.3 billion nanoplastics per minute are shed by string trimmer line. Now you use a string trimmer 40 times a year on your lawn, that's a lot of plastic. So our material, as it does that, it basically goes through that disintegration process and then it it gets consumed by, by, by microbes if it hits the soil. And then a lot of that stuff will slough off. You get rainfall and it'll move into ponds and ditches. We continue to biodegrade. So one of the things from to be able to claim soil biodegradable as part of the ASTM standards, you must also be marine biodegradable because they realize that those particles will will move off of the soil very often and into the water. Oh, that's interesting. So you can't claim that you're soil biodegradable unless you are also marine biodegradable. Correct. Interesting. How would they get STM? Correct. I don't know if I'm the only person that does this, but when I've been in Home Depot or Lowe's purchasing string trimmer line for my own personal use, um, and I'm in that aisle and I look and I see all those those spools of plastic and I just think every single thing that I'm looking at is going to end up in the St. John's River. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. or Maybe I'm not because I'm sure you think that too. No, there's a lot of it. We get a lot of people who are understanding that it's an issue. But it's true. I mean, every, everything that's up there is eventually going to end up in our soil or or in our water. So I guess from our conversation thus far, the way that I would explain it now is as you're using the string trimmer line, you're basically, the, the plastic is very quickly going through that mechanical disintegration process. And then after that, it just stays in the environment as a microplastic. Uh, yeah. Does that, is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. It's your string trimmer line and your trimmer are basically microplastic and nanoplastic generating machines that that's what they're doing and so every time you use it 
you're doing it repetitively. So if you do it 40 times a year, that's a lot of that's a lot of microplastics. Multiply that times 10 years, that's a lot more microplastics. So it's really odd, you know, all across the world, people do this as a matter of uh, just normal weekly procedure. And they really haven't realized what's going on, but people are starting to wake up. Yeah. So, so we use this string trimmer line for a reason, right? We need to use it to maintain our lawns. So it it's as a product, it needs to have some performance requirements. So how do you measure to make sure that this product is doing what it needs to do and it's functioning as, as well as the standard, the current standard? So we go out, I mean, first of all, we field test it, right? We go out and run the machinery and, and, and put it in all kinds of different applications. And secondarily, we'll do some things such as some, uh, it's like a line break test where you you'll measure, you try and stretch the material and see how, how well it does. And so far we're holding up very well. So we're making a couple of little tweaks here and there on this next go round materials, but we're, we're pretty well just about dialed in, we believe. So is there an ASTM standard for that as well for string trimmer line, or do you compare versus uh, the No, that would line? be, there's not, no, not per se. So in this case, would you just be comparing against the the current product that's on the market? Correct. Correct. And is that, is it just a tensile strength test that you do, or is it something else? Well, sort of, like I say, it's a, it's a break test, which is really a, that is a sort of a tensile test or you just, it stretches and stretches and stretches until you break it. So the last time I brought it down, the guys last week, they had to run it three times in order to be able to break it because they kept, they got beyond the point of where their machine could could pull so they they finally got it to break on the third time how, how does it compare to the competitive product um it's from what we've seen we do very well up against it one of the things that i was thinking about just when you do new product introduction the the less that you're asking somebody to change their behaviors the better and it seems like the the string trimmer line is something you're not asking them to change their behaviors at all correct so you've had a successful landscaping company for many years. Are you guys already using this product? So we're about to, we hope this week we're going to be running that material. We're going to drop it into all of our crews and we'll start running it. We'll be the only one in the country. That's exciting. It is exciting. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the episode so far, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. Or better yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Those are the best ways to support our efforts to highlight local sustainability stories. And now, back to the show. So the string trimmer line is really just one example of how your product can be used. Um, can you tell us about the the IP that you have that covers your technology in general? Yeah, so I have, gosh, I don't know, at least 10 patents. The most recent we have is for the material itself. So like I said, we couldn't find one that did what we needed to do. So we ultimately had to build it. And it was unusual enough that we were able to get a, an, a, a utility patent on it. So it's it, what we did was we, we had to come up with a material that is very strong, very ductile, can hold up long-term and then dies. And that's un, that's pretty hard to do. One of the questions, and you and I actually haven't talked about this before, Bob, but w- one of the questions that I've had is you know the, the focus of this podcast is sustainability and absolutely plastics are a huge problem and there's been um, more and more discussion about how we address this plastics issue. So sure. this is 
I think one of the most important sustainability problems we that we have globally. Um, however, the one that's really close to my heart is actually decarbonization. When I think about climate change, we have too much carbon in our atmosphere and we need to reduce it and take out what we currently have in the atmosphere. All right. So, so sequestration from plastics isn't necessarily going to happen, but if you can make the microplastics go away, and that's what we focus on as we we eliminate persistent plastic particulate pollution. So we figured that out. That's what we, that's what we do. If you start adding all these other things to it. Yeah. You know, what is it you're focused on? We're focused on persistent plastic particulate pollution. Yeah. Do, do we do a lot of other good things? Yeah, absolutely. Do we go out as our main focus as that's our claim? It's not, but we do have a positive impact. How do you describe again the niche, like the end life cycle? You've talked about something like that. So I, I would say that if your product's final end of life is in soil or water, we're likely a good application. So okay. that could be anywhere from sporting equipment and materials to agriculture to uh, lawn and garden. There's there's a bunch of different things that that matches, and they're all massive plastic polluters right now. Okay, so what happens if your product ends up in a landfill? So it's going to biodegrade if it's in a microbial positive place, which it would be because it's going to be, you know, aerobic. But once that landfill goes anaerobic, we're going to be just like anything else that has organics, and you're going to come out and you're going to be putting out methane. That's why there are no standards to where you can claim landfill biodegradable. So we're always very clear to people that if you're going to throw it away, it, just don't even buy our stuff. You know I mean? You need to, if you're going to recycle it in, in the ground or the earth or the water, or it's going to, you know, we don't recommend people go sling our stuff in the river, but if it's going to by happenstance or accident, a potential for getting lost in water, we think we're a good solution. Like I said, an agricultural film, they would till us into the soil at the end of the season instead of rolling up the material and landfilling it and sloughing off all those bioplastics that are going to be into their farmland now. Ours will get consumed. So this product would not should not go into the recycling stream, correct? For now, if you're going to start dumping tons of it into a, a, a place, they're probably not going to want it. But we don't claim that we're recyclable per se. We are We're sort of recycled by nature. I love that. That's a nice way to say that. Hey, I'll have to use that. One of the things that I've I've appreciated in conversations with you is that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs have you know many great ideas and they're but they sometimes are all over the place, right? Because there's so many different ideas that are coming at them. And and honestly, I mean, you've got a ton of different ideas. When I go into your workshop, you've got so many things that you're working on. But as far as from a business perspective, you can't be all over the place. You have to be focused and saying this this is the thing that we're doing and this is what we're going after. Well, and and I think you do honest. a nice job of articulating that. Well, I appreciate that. And you have to be honest. If you're going to be, if you're ever going to be successful, you always got to be honest. We're, we're focused on legitimate solutions that make a difference. We always look at it as, a, you know, we're always going to do the right thing, you know, for our people, for our, for our company, for our products, our, our customers. So Bob, you mentioned, you know, making sure you're doing the right thing for the customer being honest to the customer. Who are your customers now? So at this point, we're we're about to launch, and we're going to be doing some B two B, some B two C. But right now, though, um, are your customers people that you're working on development projects with right now? Yes. Or do you have, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Right. Could you tell us a little bit about the business model or potential business models that you are considering? 
Right. So when I look at it, I look at there's already people within those industries. There's already people within those markets. My goal would be to license to them. So we're we're looking at a licensing model because it's a ability to get out there faster, bigger, and make a bigger impact more quickly. Yeah, we're basically what we're doing is, you know, we're changing the world. Our my whole goal is to save the world one product at a time. And it's all through eliminating persistent plastic particulate pollution. And that's that's the thing. That's what we're doing. Before we go, do you have any suggestions for people that are interested to learn more either about your product or about microplastics or bioplastics? Do you have any suggestions of where they can go to learn more? Yeah, sure. There's so there's a couple of sites we have. We have recedebioplastics.com, and then I'll give you some overview of the material and some of the larger agricultural type applications mostly. And then we have weedreseed.com that talks about some more of the sort of consumer type products, but either one of those. If they want to get in touch with me, they could email me at bob at recede.green. Please let me know when that string trimmer line comes out. I definitely would like to be one of your first customers. I, absolutely. I'll get you some. <laughs> Thanks so much, Bob. Sounds good. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find the resources and contact info mentioned in today's show on our website, sustainablenorthflorida.com slash podcast. One more thing. I'd like to give a huge shout out to Bob for being our first guest. Thanks for taking a chance on us, Bob. And please don't forget to send some of that string trimmer line when it launches. Can't wait to use it.